Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with S and M. Hello. Hello. How's everyone? I'm sick. Sean's I, sick. I has a sick. <clears throat> Boy, you remember that? I has a sick. Yeah. Is that what is that even from? Is that like meme a meme culture? Is that a, is that a meme thing? Yeah. Gross. Old school meme culture. Yeah. Like. Back when it was just all cats, right? Yeah. Well, now, like, I can't has cheeseburger culture. Oh, we should edit that out. That's embarrassing. Just because people here are too young to know <laughs> what we're talking about. I don't, I don't think so. Some people are. Well, maybe. We don't really know our demographic. <laughs> we never will. talk to us. To us. <laughs> they just listen and then they go about their day. We have like four or five people who talk to us. Yeah. But we have a lot more listeners than that. So, this, <laughs> so we're I don't know if that's a really a good cross section of our listenership. Whatever. Hey, so, so yeah. I want to do an update for everyone because I know they want to know how I'm feeling about the new Tool album right now. I'm sure that's first and foremost on everyone's mind. Yep. <laughs> that's first and foremost on everyone. I'm, st I'm still kind of in the same place after... A whole lot of spins. That's <laughs> what we that's what we used to say in the nineties. We call it spins because of records and, and CDs. They would spin. Record players. Yeah. They spin you right around, baby. C D players too. Right they, around. They spin. Like a record. So I gave it a, a whole bunch more spins. That's listens for you younger folk if you're out there. And I yeah, it, it, well now I have it mixed into just an all tool playlist of just all my favorite tool songs, which is a lot just without like the interlude type stuff and yeah i, I feel like my musical taste has not matured i, I part of me just <laughs> I, I feel like i agree i feel like maybe tool has matured or something you know they, they're not as angry but they haven't been angry since i don't know anima they've had like a little bit of angry yeah, they just songs. drink wine now they're old people yeah they sit around and drink wine. But even just even just the riffs and the structure of the songs is is kind of boring to me. Again, they they it doesn't seem to go anywhere. It meanders too much, and there's no cathartic release at the end. Here we they're, go. And they're not bad songs. They're not they're not bad songs or anything. And I'm I'm trying real hard to get into it because I feel like I'm. You know, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm missing out because people seem to be really really enjoying it. And I'm, I'm like, what are you listening to? <laughs> I, mean, I want to hear what you're hearing. What are you listening to? Because I'm not hearing the same thing. Now, and honestly, their last out, their last two albums, I had to spin. A, a, I got to stop saying that. I had to listen to. Yeah. A few times, but I did spin to. them. It's been so long that yeah, I actually did spin those albums. They were on CD. It was 13 years ago that 10,000 Days came out. Jesus H. And it's been. Well over 10,000 days, apparently. <laughs> well, no, 10,000 days was a reference to how long his mom was okay. on Earth and paralyzed, I believe. Jesus, fuck. Yeah, she was paralyzed that long before she died. Yeah. How many I'm years I'm one of those. I can be one of those insufferable Tool fans. Yeah, where I'm like, I don't want to fucking Excuse hear. me, but I, I believe what Maynard is trying to say here. But, but I, I try not to do that. But I, I do. if I know something to be 100% true, I'll share it. But just like that... uh. That post I put on Facebook, dude, I should just read some of those tweets. I'm going to read you some tweets, guys. And if you're not on, That's my, great. on my Facebook friends, this is great. So uh, I guess Taylor Swift had an album come out a week before Tool did. And her her fans are on Twitter. They're concerned that her album is not going to be number one two weeks in a row because of Tool. 
but also her fans tend to skew younger, obviously. Yeah, because they're tool fans. Obviously. And these are some, these tweets are gold, Jerry. They're gold. <laughs> gold, Jerry. I'm not going to shout out, and I don't want anybody, I never understand when people start replying to, these are young people. These are children. And they're getting corrected by people my age or around my age group, and I, I don't understand that. Just I just find it funny. It's like shitting on your kids. I'm like, I, I feel more like, yeah, I'm out of touch. Why would they know tool? But then there's another part of me that's like, what's wrong with these parents? Why didn't they raise their children with tool in the house? I know like uh, Christian, one of our listeners, he's, you know, mid 20s, late 20s. Mm -hmm. All his favorite bands are like Led Zeppelin and like classic rock bands. Right. So the music is is timeless. A lot of people know the Beatles and, you know, all that stuff. Tool is one of those bands now. There, there would be a classic rock band. Came out in the early 90s. It's weird to me that the Tool wouldn't be played, but I think it's because these people probably grew up in country households, which is just a weird form of child abuse. I don't know why you would do that. Oh, I got to digress, man. Jesus. I got to digress. You got topics. I do. Uh, you got the topics today. So at work, co-workers play country stations. We have like a deal where they can listen to country Tuesdays and Thursdays. And also on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I try not to kill myself really, really hard. But anyway, there is a song and I've heard it on three different radios, probably four different times now. These are the lyrics. I haven't looked it up. This is a dude singing. This is why I don't understand how dudes can listen to this stuff. The the structure. She thinks my tractor sexy. Is that a real song? Yeah, she thinks uh, my tractor's sexy. Oh it really God. turns her on. Well, that that's just going to the point that it's I'm like about Kenny to make. Chesney, I think. Which is the the level of songwriting when it comes to the lyrics is equivalent to nursery rhymes. It's just the most simplistic. Yeah, it's lowest common denominator, dude. Just superficial have, lyrics have you in the seen world. Country fans. Yes, I have. I've seen metal fans though too, so I, I can't I can't judge based on that. True. Anyway have you smelled metal fans right <laughs> so this the lyrics to this song and I'm, I'm paraphrasing only slightly and this is all i'm gonna do my country twang this is what the guy sounds like swear to god he's like uh what what's your what's your name what's your birthday what's the tattoo on your wrist say like these are lyrics to a song that adults hmm. listen to isn't that awful? And I've it's heard this four like, times now. That's why it stayed in my head. It's kind of like that, that, um, like, age sex location from back in... Uh, <laughs> ASL? Yeah. ASL? And I'm, like, I'm just, I'm blown away that this is a hit song. That There's no, they don't even try to be clever with their, their, with their lyrics at all. There's nothing to read into. It's the most simple rhymes in the world. But they don't have say to be clever. And day. It, they don't, it blows they don't have my to be fucking mind. The people who listen voted for Trump. They used to listen have... to country. This is the kind of shit you used to listen to. I'm going to out you right now. Yeah. And here's the thing. Sam is not pleased about you outing me. No, he's mad at Crowley. No, he's mad at you. He told me. Women are allowed to listen to country. Okay, and I listened to 90s pop country, which was a different breed. No, this is, this is the exact same thing. No, it's not. It sounds identical to the, the shit you used to listen no, to. No, it's not. And again, women, no, it's not. women get a pass. I, I, but it was dudes, Tim McGraw when, Faith Hill. 
this different. makes me question different. dudes when dudes listen to this and enjoy because the, these songs are clearly written the the reason is the, the songs are clearly written because the singers want to bang chicks right they want to fuck these country girl fans whatever country and, girl fans and well i assume they, they're after the girls but but dudes listen to this and i don't get it like what I, she thinks my tractor say that's kenny chesney <laughs> Like, why? Really, I, there's a big disconnect for me there when it comes to that. Like, you, these songs are written with a laser focus on the female audience, and dudes are like, Yeah, I'm singing along, I'm going to the show. I dress just like fucking Kenny Keith or whatever the hell his name is. Kenny Keith. Uh, Toby Keith. I Kenny Chesney. I got the same hat. I went, I went out and I bought, I bought boots. Mm. I bought cowboy boots because I thought they looked good. <laughs> I saw them and I put them on my feet on you, purpose. Are, are you being something or is that, did you do that or are you making fun? No, of I didn't do that. Oh, okay. I didn't know. You just listen to country, so it might be something you actually did. But listen yeah, dudes here. do that. Listen here, you had fucking. I said to a coworker. You had fucking braids, braid dread things. Uh, I have no shame. No shame. I will. I will take you should, you should my weird so tarantula much, haircut over cowboy have, boots any day. You should have so much shame. <laughs> no shame. And your clothes that were four sizes too big, and now fit me just fine. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I'm fat. Listen now. up. <laughs> I was just playing for the future. I was just being practical. Being You're practical like at the time I thought it was style, but it turns out I was just planning. So <laughs> the '90s were big clothes. All right. Anyway, here's some, here's some tweets that made me laugh. You know, I really love to see see it. I truly was nervous you wouldn't pass lover. I don't understand a lot of this because it's a tweet from a young person. And I'm an old person. <laughs> uh, you, and there's no punctuation, so that doesn't help. You know, I really love to see it. I truly was nervous you wouldn't pass lover just because I know T-Swift fan base is so big. Anyways, who the fuck is Tool? And can they move their fat ass like genuinely no idea who that is? Am I the only one? And then I'm, I'm guessing she got added. A whole bunch of times by a bunch of insufferable tool fans because she says all the old ass 30 plus year old men quoting and replying to this all mad embarrassing go take care of your wife or kids weirdo and i'm part of me is there's a lot of me is just like is that is that insulting <laughs> go take care of your wife or kids yeah i was like is that insulting i don't i don't, I don't I know i think that's supposed to be an insult number one number two how old is she the 30 year old is like like i went to her twitter she looks very she doesn't look like she's an adult She's not. An, if she is an adult, she's an incredibly young looking adult. So leave kids alone. They don't know. Or if you're going to at somebody, be polite. Just tell them who Tool is. Tool is a popular band in the 90s. They haven't had an album in 13 years. People are excited. That's all you got to say. If you got to say anything, you know what I mean? Like people don't know shit. That's how it works. And then somebody says. <laughs> apparently they were really big in the 90s 13 year comeback that's not very exciting this one had me laughing though they have a screenshot of the song titles with the lengths of the songs which <laughs> all the actual songs are over 10 minutes long with some some musical interludes that are shorter and this person says oh my god the length of each song made me shook <laughs> that had me dying <laughs> that, that was pretty funny um i like it when you snort your snot on the radio i'm, so, I'm sick <laughs> i'm doing my job i like that uh, that's good that's good radio uh so people are very they're very excited or they're very upset that taylor swift might might lose set the number one spot this week as a tool and somebody said uh 
this this Twitter account called Chart Data says tools fear inoculum has reached number one on US iTunes. And somebody replied and said, Grandpa's discovered iTunes, I guess. So grandpa's it's grandpa's music. <laughs> it's grandpa's, grandpa's guitars. It's a place to grandpa's guitars. Tool is grandpa music now. Grandpa. Grandpa. Wow. That's what four year old men are to the internet. Yeah, or grandpas. Or thirty, apparently thirty to forty. Thirty to forties. That's that's new grandpa you age. Fucking grandpa. All right, then somebody replies and says, I, first to be, off, to be fair, my mom was a grandma twice before forty, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Her fault now. Yeah, well, you know that's what you do when you you bangs behind the fucking gas stations in high schools. All right, so no Crowley. Somebody tweeted this, Wide and I'm guessing this is. <laughs> This is in uh, in response to Sam is defending my honor again. The, the the Taylor Swift fans want you know they just want Taylor Swift to have the number one album or whatever two weeks in a row. So somebody says, yeah, but the bad news is there's a chance of debuting at number two due to a new band called Tool. <laughs> if this ends up being the case, then that would be an embarrassment beyond belief. This is Taylor Swift. She did not work her socks off for the album and promo for, and then it cuts off. And then somebody replied and was like, first off, Tool isn't a new band. So there's some people that are like, okay, this is Grandpa's guitar music. Other <laughs> people are like, there's some new band called Tool. Some new band? I don't know. Never, never heard <laughs> never of them. Never heard of them. Grandpa's guitars. And somebody was just like, I deleted my comments. I tweeted out of ignorance because I had no clue who they were. And I assumed they were a new band on Spotify. And they're like, even I listen to a lot of classic rock. Well, part of the reason people think they're a new band is because Spotify fucking promoted them like they were a new band. Well, yeah, because when they hit all the streaming services, they did it simultaneously. They hit all of them at the same time. And I think Garth Brooks is like the last holdout who just won't put his music on streaming That's services. That's fine. Who cares? Garth Brooks fans, I'm pretty sure. Who are they? Steve. Steve loves some Garth Brooks. Yeah. I'm out in Steve. Steve likes all the bad music. That's why part of me is kind of like, I'm, I'm like, is Tool bad? Because Steve really likes Tool. So oh. Tool might not be good. <laughs> yeah. Steve liking Tool might Does make Tool Does he like Tool this bad. album? Oh, yeah. He loves oh, it. Oh, yeah. Then that's probably why you're having a hard time liking it a lot. <laughs> he explains a lot. <laughs> Steve's like, come on, man. <laughs> Steve's like, come on, man. I'm going to go listen to some Justin Timberlake to get this down. song. Need some I Dave gotta, Matthews band. I'm going to go listen to some Dave Matthews band and some Justin Timberlake, followed up with some Garth Brooks, because I got friends <laughs> in low places. You can't, can't listen to Garth Brooks. He's not streaming. <laughs> no Garth Brooks for Steve. <laughs> Lightning does not strike. Oh, that's fine, you know. When you got friends in low places, that's uh, <laughs> how it is. I don't know the rest of the song but, uh, until it plays. Then I know every word. And no worries, guys. I will keep you updated about where I am with this tool. Op. So tool, no. tool concert tickets go on sale tomorrow. I'm going to check those out. Crowley. Crowley. It is not wide My open arm. elbows time. Right. Wide open elbows. Uh so yeah, the, the tool concert tickets go. I'm gonna check out the prices, see if it's worth going. The price is gonna be a big fucking no. I'm telling you that. Well, I know they're gonna be People high. People who has the grandpa's guitars, they don't need. They're gonna to be go. ridiculous. However, if they have tiers to their pricing, here's what Metallica did. This is what turned me off. So Metallica, Metallica tickets were $145 a piece. Yeah. And that was pretty much for the entire arena, except for the little tiny upper outer ring of a few rows but so they had two pricing uh two price tiers and i i couldn't imagine being the upper tier having paid 145 dollars 
I would have been furious. So right. I don't I don't think Tool's going to do that because I saw tickets start at fifty five dollars. I'm like, that's a lot more reasonable. You know, that's yeah. But that could be like that could be the upper tier. But it's and here's the thing. The upper tier was only like 30 bucks cheaper or something. It wasn't like it went way down. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it was it was insanely overpriced for that upper tier. I don't think Tool's going to price gouge that much. Uh, but Does yeah. everything come with a bottle of wine? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think you get a bottle of wine. But I, I haven't. I've, I've seen them three times. I haven't seen them in a long time. I think the last time was on Lateralis with you. But I know I went and saw them with Steve at one point too. But I think that was before that because I was at CSU, so it was a slightly smaller arena. Yeah, I went to go see them. I was wearing a white skirt. Tomahawk opened, didn't they? Tomahawk, yes. Yeah. yeah. That was that was a really great opening man. This time they're bringing Killing Joke, which is they've been around forever. They're a Texas band. Doug Pinnock, if you remember. I was hoping they would bring Deaf Heaven. I, I, Deaf Heaven would be a perfect opener. For I've seen tool. we've seen Deaf Heaven. Yeah, I love Deaf Heaven, and I, I they're a progressive metal band. See, Ten I feel like songs. we're at the age, you know, being grandpa's guitars age, yeah. that we don't have to see bands multiple times anymore due to due to impending death. Because we're, <laughs> I really, I'm a music old. fan though. Hmm. See, I'm not. I know. I know. I've already seen Tool. Right. I'm done. <laughs> I'm at my limit. I'm good. I've and seen, I've been like right I've up front Death to Heaven, see them too. So I'm done. And I saw Death Heaven right up front. You were like. I did I tell Let's you that go I look at look I, at his penis. Is that your favorite <laughs> thing that, to do? Like get up front. Yeah, Why you not? like Sean likes to nuzzle right into these dudes' ball sacks. He's all like, mm, "I'm here." It's <laughs> not, not at all what happens. Let's make cuddles, and they're like, "I'm gonna put my guitar here so you can't cuddle my ball sack, sir." They come That's over what, and play. In, Dave Davidson plays in my face, he and does. it's great. He, comes, it's he rocks my face off. It's a guitar. It's a guitar solo. He's There's like, no, no better seat in the house. He's like, here's my balls. And you're like, yes, please. This is nice. <laughs> There's no balls. He's got a guitar. Yeah, he puts it there to keep you from fucking Puts it there him. because he's a lead guitar player. Whatever the reason. It's gross. The first time I wanted to go see Tool, it was... I've, the first thing I heard by them was a song called Sober off their first full-length album, Undertow. And that was, I'm guessing, late 93... And they came to Cleveland in early 94, and they played some shithole bar. I wouldn't know. I was 13 at best. I was 12, most likely. And I, I don't remember the name of the place, but here's what I do remember in reading in my scene magazine. It was a <laughs> 21 and over show, and I wasn't 21. Like, I couldn't go see Tool in a club because I was, like, 19 or even younger. I don't remember. What, how old was I in 94? Well, in 93. Early 94? Yeah. Early, you had just turned whatever the year was before. Yeah. So I was 17. I had no shot of getting in there. Yeah. I was very upset, though, because I was I was same, so excited. I was like, oh, I'll go see them in the like tiny club 12 or whatever. Because they blew up. When that song Silver came out, I swear to God, they blew up instantly. Like a lot of 90s bands did, like Rage Against the Machine and everybody. They put one song out and just blew up. And I was so excited to go see them. I was like, 21 and over. Right. Like, fuck and i didn't it, it, what's funny is at the time i didn't know why i didn't understand it was just strictly related to out serving alcohol i thought they must be doing some really grotesque shit on stage <laughs> <laughs> that i was not allowed to see that my young eyes could not see because I, I was still really handle. young my concert going uh career or what have you and so i just assumed like wow because i you didn't know anything about them at the, you never saw pictures of them 
and again it was early so they had a video for sober and it was all stop motion animation yeah none of the band members were in it so in my mind in the imagination like, was going crazy nude. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. Clearly having sex on stage. Like, singer's going to come out, hit everybody with his dick. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going to happen. But no, it just, it was, just, I'm sure it was just related to, to their alcohol yeah. r- rules and, and money making, and all, that's all it came down to. But yeah. yeah, in my mind, though, I was like, this is going to be some sick shit. But I had, yeah, I was, I, I was like, I don't even know how to get a fake ID. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, now, I'm sure you just look on the internet. You can get one. Go on the my, dark, dark web and bam. My my idea was to just simply turn 21, and then you get your real ID, and then it's cared for. But yeah, I, I I really. It's funny. I regret not going to that show, but I had no choice. <laughs> like it wasn't <laughs> even my fault. But I'll never forget, like seeing a little ad. I was like, and I, I was like, hey, this can't be right. How could? Is this actually tool? You know, and maybe it was some local band that happened to be named Tool at the same time. But I, I really don't it. think I doubt it, too. All right, cool. All right. So that was a nice rant. Ranty. Ranty McRanterson. I'm just trying to kill some time here. Oh, well, I have like five pages of notes, <laughs> so I don't know All right, what the time kills. Let's get to it. All right. Let me check to see where our children are, because our children are out. Because as you might remember from last week's episode, if you listened... This is a pre-recorded episode, as they all tend to be. <laughs> all, all recordings are pre-recorded. <laughs> well, I, don't need, I don't need it. <laughs> this episode is recorded. This episode <laughs> is not live. I know that might be shocking. No, but the Monday that this came out, I am actually in New York City. So we are recording this on a day that is not our usual day. In advance. Oh, yeah. That's what that's the term. Recorded in advance. Yes. Further in advance than normal. Further in advance than usual. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Want me to go first? I'll I have a bum. It. I have a bummer topic, so you might want a palate cleanser after. Uh, go ahead and go then. Okay. Guys, I don't feel good. Sean, my throat really hurts, and I've been talking a lot, and that's not helping. Yeah, he's been. And I'm out of tea already. Drink all his tea. So. I'm just going to start, and then you'll tell me if you know what it is. Of course, it doesn't work with the listeners because they can read the topic. I don't think most of them do. I feel like most of the subscribers just, just, you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. they just tap on the thing. So Eric Harris was born in Wichita, Kansas, and he was the son of an Air Force pilot. He spent much of his childhood moving from place to place. He attended first and second grade Valley Elementary School in Beaver Creek, Ohio, while his father worked at the Wright Air Force Base. Then the family relocated twice more before finally settling in Littleton, Colorado in 1993. Is this Columbine? It's Columbine. Why would you do this? Because it's not what I thought it was. Oh. In Littleton, he met Dylan Dylan Klebold. Klebold attended Colorado CHIPS, which is challenging high intellectual potential students. So the CHIPS program... Started in third grade, and he aged out in sixth. He enjoyed bowling. He was a devoted fan of the Red Sox, and he did audiovisual work for school productions. So Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold spent their time playing Doom, dressing in black, and eventually they got into guns and explosives. See, I did did the first two things. I like Doom. I wear black. (laughs) Yeah. Never expanded... Never really got into guns and explosives. No, I do like guns. I just don't have any. So 
the reason I say that this isn't what I thought it would be is because the morality tale. So Columbine happened my senior year. Okay. It happened in April, April 20th of 99. Yeah. And I graduated like June 3rd of That's, when, that's back when a school shooting was big news. Yeah. And now it's not somehow. So, but here's the thing. I was told, we were told as kids that it was because people were mean and they were outcasts. Yeah. That's not what, that's not what happened. We were also told it was because they played Doom and they listened to Marilyn Manson. We were also told that too. Which isn't true. Yeah. So I'm about to get into all that. Yeah. And, and tell you more about. Is this about because of the text we got from Logan today? Yes. Let's, let's so let's talk about that. So today, our kids had a school shooting drill. Which they do every year. They now, do. A, this is commonplace. Yeah, this is common. If you don't have kids in school, you might not know that. But Logan texted us and said, does they anybody have, else think it's messed up that we have to learn how to be field medics? Yeah. And where I'm like, yeah, that's very fucked up, actually. It doesn't make any sense that that's the response to school shootings is... Learn how to dress your fellow students' wounds. Yeah, so that's new this year. Deal with shit after the fact. That's that's new. Uh, the kids are learning how to be medics in addition to... So previously, it was more like they were learning how to, like, barricade and stuff like that. Right. And now they're getting more advanced. And then Logan sent a text to us after. And he was like, we did it, boys. We beat the we beat the shooter and he had shooter in quotes. Yeah. And 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 it's like and what we said back, of course, was, yeah, except that the potential shooters in the training with you. So, no, you (laughs) didn't. So that led me down this rabbit hole, which is why we're doing this now. So one night, a mutual friend. Brooks Brown. So this story has a lot to do with Brooks Brown. Okay. So he recalled that he and another friend were up at 3 a.m. playing video games at his house and he heard a tap on his window and he turned to see Harris and Klebold dressed in black sitting in a tree. After letting them inside, the pair explained that they were running missions. They were toilet papering houses and spray print painting graffiti and setting fire to potted plants. Hmm. Sometimes these missions were in retaliation for perceived slights at school, but mostly they were just for fun. As time went on, Brown noticed that the missions were starting to get crueler. So, meanwhile, Harris was starting to push people away. Unable to drive yet, he relied on Brown for rides to and from school. So, Brown was routinely late, which drove Harris crazy. Finally, they got into an argument during the winter, and Brown told Harris that he wouldn't give him a ride anymore. A few days later... Brown was parked at the stop sign by Harris's bus stop. Harris grabbed a piece of ice and shattered Brown's windshield with that block of ice. Wow. Furious, Brown told his and Harris's parents about all the mischief and the drinking and all the bad behavior. Yeah. So in January of 98, Klebold approached Brown in school, handing him piece of paper with her URL and said, you need to go check this out. Don't tell Harris where you got it. So in hindsight, it seems like that was a cry for help. Hmm. You know, like something's going on here. No. So Harris goes to the URL and it turns out to be an AOL profile. Okay. Which there's screenshots of now. 
So it's an AOL profile where Harris had written in great detail about his acts of vandalism. Um, he was building pipe bombs and his desire to kill people, namely Brooks Brown. Oh, wow. So Brown's parents called the police and the detective they spoke to noted the pipes that pipe bombs had been found in the area. Jesus. And that they thought the, the threats were all credible enough to file a formal report. So a few days later, Harris and Klebold missed school and people were like, oh, so they're clearly in trouble. Like for <clears throat> the shit, you know, <clears throat> oops, I just dropped my phone. And I have Logan texting me when they're on their way, so we should probably get that. But they were relieved because they thought like, oh, they must have they must be like, I don't know, in jail. I don't know what they thought, but they were like they must have taken care of the problem. But that's not why they were out. Harrison Klebold had actually been arrested for a totally different felony. They were breaking. They broke into a parked van and stole electronics equipment. But Harris's father managed to get both boys into juvenile diversion. Okay. So once that was successfully completed, both boys were deemed rehabilitated and given clean records. Mm. So the presiding judge never saw Brown's report or the search warrant. Mm. And the search warrant had never been executed. It was never signed because they had been arrested. Had any of that been seen by a judge, Harris would have been rejected for the diversion program. And they, you know, they would have found the pipe bomb arsenal that he had in his basement. But because none of this happened. Oof. Columbine was never avoided. Right. So by all accounts, Harris was a model program participant. He appeared to be repentant. He had straight A's. He never missed counseling session. But behind the, the facade, the embarrassment of being caught ignited a spark inside both Harris and Klebold. So by spring, they had begun planning something called Judgment Day, as they called it in their journals. Yeah. Because their journals were also found. Hmm. So for a year before the Columbine shooting, Harris dedicated himself to building dozens of explosives pipe bombs, and crickets made from CO2 containers. He looked into making napalm, and at one point he tried to recruit Chris Morris into his plans, playing it off as a joke when he refused. Hmm. So Harris took notes as to the students' movements and the number of exits in the school. This is why I'm horrified at them teaching these kids where to go and where the exits are and all of this, because... Right. Shooters literally take notes as to where the stuff is. Yeah. So meanwhile, he researched the Brady Bill and various loopholes in gun laws before finally on November 22nd of 98, joining joining Klebold in convincing an 18-year-old mutual friend and later Klebold's, I called him Klebold a second ago, Klebold's um, prom date to buy two shotguns and a high carbine rifle, rifle for them at a gun show. Wow. Later, Klebold bought a semi-automatic pistol from another friend behind a pizza shop. Although Harris claimed after their first gun purchase, they had See, crossed... That's, that's the thing that I've always said about um, 
you know, obviously people are clamoring for what they call common sense gun laws. And then on the other side of it, you have people saying, oh, yeah, but then what about all these illegal guns? It's like, but illegal guns started as legal guns. Right. Is what people are forgetting. So yeah. there's not much you can somewhere. do about what's out there right now. But going forward, there could be something done to minimize that. Yeah. So Harris claimed that their first gun purchase had crossed the point of no return, but there were a few complications. Just before the new year, the a local gun uh, gun shop owner called the house saying that their high capacity magazines he had ordered for the rifle had had arrived. But his father picked up the phone. So Harris was like, oops, wrong number. Wow. Yeah. Remember house phones? The most persistent obstacle, however, was Klebold's mental state. Many times before the attack, Klebold wrote about his plans to kill himself, mm. including stealing one of Harris's pipe bombs and strapping it to his neck. Several other journal entries were signed goodbye as if he expected it to be his last one. What changed between August 10th, 98, his last suicide threat, and then the attack on April 20th of 99 is unknown, but at some point, Klebold committed to the Judgment Day plan. Although, now they, now it's seen as being just the Judgment Day plan, the, what happened? Yeah. Um, is seen as just being a theatric suicide. Hmm. Because they knew that they were going to die either by suicide by cop or kill right. themselves. Didn't they kill themselves? They did. One of his last entries read, I'm stuck in humanity, maybe going um, NBK, which is natural born killer hmm. with Eric is a way to break three. I hate break free. I hate this. Penultimate formal page in Klebold's journal written five days before the ta the attack ends with time to die, time to be free, time to love. Nearly all the remaining pages are filled with drawings of his intended outfit and weapons. The pair worked their final shift at Blackjack Pizza on April 16th. Harris secured advances for them both to purchase the last-minute supplies. Klebold attended prom with a group of 12 friends on Saturday. While Harris went on his first date, first and last date, with a girl he'd recently met. That Monday, the original date for the attack, Harris postponed the plan so he could buy more bullets from a, a friend. He'd apparently forgotten that he had Turned 18, so he didn't need a middleman. Hmm. The next morning, April 20th, both, boy, both boys got up and left their house by 530 in the morning. In some ways, the killer's writing did help decrypt the shooting, but not because of what they reveal about their emotions. But it gives you details about what they were actually planning. From the outside, the shooting just looks like a school shooting, but it was actually meant to be a bombing. The duffel bag Eric Harris was carrying when he talked to Brooks Brown that morning contained one of several propane tank time bombs. Two were placed in the cafeteria to bring down the ceiling and allow Harris and Klebold to shoot the students as they fled. Brown had also noted that his friend's car was parked far from its usual place. That was because both Harris and Klebold's cars were rigged to explode as police ambulance and journalists arrived killing as many in the process. Oh. 
Holy shit. A final bomb was parked. Oh, was placed in a park. I'm sorry. Was placed in a park three miles from the school. Set off to go to go. Set to go off as um, same time as the others, drawing police away, buying time before authorities could kill them. Suicide by cop was their intended finale. I just don't understand. I mean, I understand being depressed and and things like that, but the desire to go and kill a bunch of your everybody classmates that it's probably people that didn't even know really, yeah. you know, in high school, high yep. schools are huge. They had 2000 students in that school. Yeah. Is anyone familiar with Columbine? Knows none of this happened. Yeah. Literally none of these bombs went off. Right. Because these bombs were so much bigger than all the other ones they had made, Harris and Klebold couldn't hide them. So they constructed them on the morning of the attack. And because of that, none of them went off. They made them all wrong. Oh. Well, that's good. With the central failure in mind, the rest of the actions take on a different significance. So Klebold got cold feet when the cafeteria bomb didn't explode. So they were supposed to stand so many yards away from each other for optimal firing range. But when the shooting started, they were standing next to each other at Klebold's assigned position. Hmm. From this, it can be inferred that Harris had to convince Klebold to go through with the attack at the last minute. Even with that, Harris did most of the shooting. Hmm. Survivors and police expressed confusion as to why the shooting abruptly stopped. About half an hour into the attack, Harris and Klebold were in the school library with nearly 50 people at their mercy. Then they left, allowing the majority to escape. The next time they shot any people at all, it was themselves. Hmm. The turning point seems to be when, after killing one student in the library, Harris' shotgun recoiled into his own face and broke his nose. Security cameras show that they then went into the cafeteria trying and failing to set off the propane tank bombs with pipe bombs and shotgun blasts. Wow. Then they tried provoking police by firing through the windows, but officers neither hit them nor entered the building. Finally, Klebold and Harris returned to the library and they watched their, their car bombs fizzle. Then they just picked a spot with a view of the Rocky Mountains and they shot themselves in the head. This is terrible. This is the worst podcast ever. Ugh. So this was originally planned for April 19th, which is the anniversary of the World War I don't feel good. This isn't helping. And the Oklahoma City bombing. So the attack Harris hoped would beat Timothy McVeigh's body count in Oklahoma. He fantasized about planting bombs around Littleton and Denver. And in one journal entry, he wrote, he wrote that he and, and if he and Klebold survived Judgment Day, that they should hijack a plane and crash into New York City. Hmm. Harris did not see himself as a good kid pushed to violence. He wanted to be a domestic terrorist. In an apparent answer to his parents' concerned about his future, he wrote, this is what I want to do with my life. Almost exactly a year before the Columbine shooting, Harris came closest to explaining why he would shoot up the school. He was not attacking specific people or even Columbine High School himself. He was attacking what school represented, the point of indoctrination into the society that he despised, suppressing individuality and human nature. 
quote, school is society's ways of tur- way of turning young people into good little robots and factory workers, he wrote on April 21st, 1998. Continuing, I will sooner die than betray my own thoughts, but before I leave this worthless place, I will kill whoever I deem unfit for anything at all, especially life. The Columbine shooting was among the first national tragedy in the area of cell- in the era of cell phones and 24-hour news cycles. Reporters were at the school interviewing traumatized teenagers as the events unfolded. Some students, unable to get through the overloaded emergency service, began calling news stations to broadcast their understandably unreliable eyewitness testimony across the world. The police had another problem, or the police were another problem. The sheriff had only been in office since January, and he didn't know how to handle the situation. Instead of sending SWAT, police held their perimeter until Harris and Klebold had killed themselves. One victim, Dave Sanders, he was allowed to bleed out due to slow police response. I was going to say, that's not how they train them to do it now. Yeah. Like well, this expected. is the first one. Well, I know, but... Yeah, and multiple bodies were left where That's they were. It's terrible even have to say that sentence, though, to be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're trained better now for the school shootings. They know how to respond to all the school shootings now. Two, Jesus Christ. Two were, uh, they were, the bodies were left where they were. Two were outside and uncovered overnight for um, fear of booby traps. Jesus. Some parents weren't even told their children were cur- killed. They learned about it in the newspaper. Jesus. We're still where the dirty secrets. How long secrets. is this topic? We're still where the dirty secrets that book Brooks Brown and his family shared almost immediately. The police had been warned. They knew about Eric Harris and the right. problem that he was. You hear that a lot now. So stuff, though. an affidavit for the search warrant had had been written, and not only could a Columbine shooting have been prevented, it should have been. As a result, resources were shifted from an investigation to a cover-up. Wow. TV. The TV, the sheriff, all of that labeled Brooke Brown as an accomplice to try and silence him. Holy shit. Victims' families fought and failed Colorado courts to get documents released. The police file on Eric Harris mysteriously went missing. Full facts of what happened and caused Columbine High School massacre were not released until 2006. Wow. By then, the popular belief of what happened that day were already seared into the collective conscious. Today, most people think that Columbine could have been stopped if people were just nicer, but that couldn't be farther from the yeah, truth. The Eric Harris kid especially was pretty far gone. Yeah. That's uh, that's like a Joker mentality, you know? Yep. Like it just, you just want he just is what he is. and destruction, and he needs to be locked up. Right, he is what he is, and right. then he found someone who was... And he's smart enough to go through the rehab or whatever the hell they called it, Yep. And, you know, it's and that's the thing is it, it is easy to just say, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever, to do what you got to do to get through that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the point of half that shit is. And then he he found someone who was willing to buy into it because he just wanted to be his friend. Yeah. All right. But yeah, th- that guy, Eric Harris. Yeah. He lived in Ohio. Two years. <clears throat> All right, so we'll move on to my topic, which is way better. It's like super way better. <laughs> you didn't think that was interesting, though? It's interesting, but it's depra- I don't like learning that stuff. I really don't. 
I, I mean, it's, I think it is it's interesting. Good to know. But I think it's, it's good to know the true story behind it. There's, there's just a part of me that just wants to shut that shit out of my life. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to yeah. know. I don't details. go looking for it. I don't go looking for it yeah. normally. But Logan texted that. But it's also and important it just, to know stuff like that. That that they tried to turn in it. That, that poor Brooks no, to Brown know, kid. To just know that there are just people out there like that, period. Like, you don't really hear anything about his home life. You know, that he moved around a lot, but you don't hear like he was abused or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, he could have grown up in just a normal home. No, I saw interviews with his parents. He did grow up in a normal home. Yeah. He grew up in a very normal home. All right. So I am going to be talking about... I'm going to be talking about a creator. Uh, his name is Jeff Smith. He's a comic book uh, creator, cartoonist. And he is most famous for creating the comic book called simply Bone. B-O-N-E. Bone, 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 bone. So we'll go a little bit into his history and then we'll talk about Bone. So uh, Jeff Smith was born in Pennsylvania in 1960. He... Uh, he grew up in Columbus, Ohio, however. So he learned about cartooning from uh, comic strips, comic books, and animated TV shows. The comic strip he found to be most entertaining was Peanuts, you know, the famous Charles Schultz. I know Peanuts. Uh, which he had his father read to him every Sunday and which inspired him to learn to read. Jeff Smith was also inspired by Scrooge McDuck creator Carl Banks, which Scrooge McDuck was a comic book series for a I very didn't long know that. time. Yeah, for years and years. Uh, Jeff Smith calls Carl Banks a natural comic genius for his ability to move characters effectively from panel to panel and for their expressiveness. Um, he said, I always wanted Uncle Scrooge to go on a longer adventure. I thought, man, if you could just get a comic book of that quality, the length of, say, War and Peace or The Odyssey or something, that would be something I would love to read. <laughs> and even as a kid, I looked everywhere for that book, that Uncle Scrooge story that was 1,100 pages long. Another seminal influence was the television program, the Pogo Special Birthday Special, which Smith saw at age nine. Pogo was created by Walt Kelly, and it was also a comic strip. Uh, The special was created by Walt Kelly and Chuck Jones, Chuck Jones from Looney Tunes fame. Uh, uh, Smith would call both of them two of my most favorite people. So the day after that aired on TV, a girl brought her father's Pogo book to school and gave it to him, him, and it says... uh, says it changed comics for him. He said he kept that book on a table next to his drawing board. Man, I wonder if he keeps girl's, it to this day. I wonder if that girl's father knows that she gave away. <laughs> He's like, where's that book? She's like, I don't know. Jeff Smith has cited Moby Dick as his favorite book, citing its multi-layered narrative and symbolism and placed numerous references to it in Bone. He's also cited Huckleberry Finn as a story after which he attempted to pattern bone structurally, explaining the kinds of stories I'm drawn to, like Huckleberry Finn, are the ones that start off very simple, simple, almost like children's stories. But as it goes on, it gets a little darker and the themes become a little more sophisticated and more complex. And those are really the kinds of stories that just get me going. Other influences in this regard include the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and classic fairy tales and mythologies. Uh... I like I like Huckleberry Finn. Jeff Smith says the earliest forerunner drawings of what later became Bone and his cousins. Bone is the name of the character. It's his last Bone name. Bone has actually. cousins. He did. He has two two cousins. He has Phony Bone. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Phone Bone, 
bony bone, and I forget the third one, but I'll get to that. Everybody calm down with the bones. <laughs> well, like bone was like their surname. Bone, 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 bone. So it's, I'm singing the thong song. So when he was about five years old, he was sitting in his bone. living room and drawing and he drew what looked like an old C-shaped telephone handset receiver, which emerged as a frowning character with its mouth wide open. Elements of that character and its demeanor found their way into the character Phony Bone. Phony Bone is the rich, angry cousin of Phone Bone. Phone Bone's like the everyman main character. Phony Bone is rich. I'm not surprised. That's that's quite a see what he did there. <laughs> All right, Smith graduated in 1978 from Worthington High School in Worthington, Ohio, suburb of Columbus. Mm-hmm. Show is. So then after college, Smith and two of his friends created it. They started an animation studio called Character Builders Incorporated. Uh, their first paid job was producing a 60-second animated opening for the TV series Super Safari with Jack Hanna. Oh. Other jobs followed for clients like White Castle. They did some sequences and films. This is all very Columbus-based. Yeah. And uh, including some claymation stuff that uh, followed after the rise in popularity of the California Raisins. I don't know if you remember <laughs> remember those guys. So anyway, when, when there was kind of a lull in that business, when things were slow, um, he reconsidered his career. He was, he was drawn to the idea that he could produce his own animated-type story, but in the comics medium. And after reading Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, and Alan Moore's Watchmen. He was convinced that a serious comic book with a beginning, middle, and end structure with both was both artistically and commercially viable. So he decided to create Bone. All right. Uh, and here's the, the big thing about Bone is it, it was self-published, which we'll get into in just a second here. He started his own comic label for the book called Cartoon Books. And... I'm always shocked by how on the nose these people <laughs> name their stuff. Like, like that one has funny books. Right. Like these people are just like, I named it Bob's, but you know, like Bob McFarlane's traveling print pressman books. Uh, all right, let me get in here and find. I didn't organize this very well. This is very last minute, guys. I apologize. Sean's sick and he didn't want to record. And I'm like, we have to, to record because we're going to see it tomorrow. And then I fly out. So it's like, if we don't record now, you don't get a podcast. All right. So in 1991, he launched his company, Cartoon Books, to publish the series. Initially, he self-published the book, which meant that he did all the work required to both produce and distribute the series as a business himself, including answering letters, doing all the graphics and lettering by hand, sending the artwork to the printer, handling orders, and bookkeeping. This made it difficult to focus on writing and drawing the book, and as a result, he fell behind in his production. I bet. Right. <laughs> like. So he asked his wife to quit her lucrative job at a Silicon Valley startup company in order to run the business side of Bone as the president of Cartoon Books. As a result, he was able to refocus on drawing and sales improve. Um, now, I discovered Bone in a comic shop because it was in a magazine called Wizard. Are they on their way home? No, they look to be at Mitchell's Ice Cream. Oh, okay. Um, uh, there was a magazine, a publication called Wizard Magazine that was just a monthly comic book magazine. You know, had interviews with, uh, you know, artists and writers and it had top 10 lists and, you know, upcoming titles and everything. They had like a hot list. Bone was on this hot list of, of you know, of books. And I, you know, I never heard of it before. 
I typically mostly I knew Marvel and DC and Image and maybe a little bit of Dark Horse stuff like the, the Sin City stuff. Yeah. At the time. But I really like the art style of, of Bone. And I would compare it to like Scrooge McDuck, like DuckTales kind Ooh. of art style. Very cartoony, appealing Wait, to children. So are DuckTales and Scrooge McDuck, are they the same guy? Yeah. But he only had a Scrooge McDuck book. He didn't have a DuckTales book? No, DuckTales was a cartoon that came out in the 90s. Scrooge McDuck was a character for many, many years before that. And, and, the and comic then books. did he pitch the... We should probably do a podcast on him. What about I'm, Carl Banks? Yeah, because I'm real confused about the origin of DuckTales now. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I picked up a reprint. So this, again, it came out in 91. I discovered it probably 93 or 94. And I think I probably have like the sixth reprint of the first few issues or something because there were so many. And they were so popular, apparently. Yeah. Or there and was not right away, way. but over yeah. time it, it built a following. And then the, those printings became so they had to keep reprinting and reprinting, basically. And it's it's an all ages tale. It's 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 very upbeat. You know, it's cartoony. It's not your typical superhero thing. It's more of a it's like you said, it's like a long term adventure thing. It starts off seemingly very simple and gets way more and more complex as the series goes on. So let's talk about the, the characters a little bit. The series centers on the Bone Cousins. They are bald, white cartoon characters. They look kind of, I don't know. What do you think? Who would you, what cartoon characters are you compare? Just to? kidding. They are on their way home. Um, they look like, do you remember? Oh, I remember. I know what they look like. Do you remember Pikmin? <laughs> Okay. From I think they remind me of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh yeah, I guess because they're yeah, just they're just they're all white. white. They don't have a lot of clothes or I mean, one phone bone is just completely nude. Uh, one <laughs> of them has a vest on. One of them has a shirt on. That's how you, you know one of them's tall, but very simplistic. Uh, but it, at the same time, still distinctive though. They remind so, me of Pikmin without the head thing, without okay. like the leaf. All right. So the series centers on the Bone Cousins, in the opening pages. The three bone cousins, uh, you have the greedy Ponsible P bone, which is phony bone. You have the silly cousin cigar smoking smiley bone and the everyman phone bone. They have the been everyman. run out of their hometown of Boneville after phony's campaign for mayor. Mayor went awry, which makes no sense because the town is named after your surname. So I feel <laughs> like if anyone's going to be it's like Richie Rich not getting made mayor of Rich Richfield. Well, I think he did some devious stuff. And this was back be before Trump, where you couldn't get away with it. Where it's not encouraged. Right. It's or not it's not admirable. like grab him by the pussy. Right. For president. So basically, that just that starts their whole adventure. They uh, they end up making their way across a mysterious valley. They get separated. They end up in some like fantasy landscape. They have rat creatures after them. They meet this girl named Thorn. And her crazy grandmother who races cows. <laughs> yeah, like literally races against cows. Oh, and races against them. Yeah. Not races right. cows. It's not like a cockfight. And it, it just kind of spirals out from there. It went on for 55 issues uh, from 1991 to 2004. And huh. on, the, on the back cover of each comic book was a panel from inside that comic book. They would just pick like a random panel. On the last issue, issue 55, the last, the back cover, the last panel is actually a picture of him drawing the last panel of that comic book, which he actually drew before he even started writing issue one. He knew how his story was going to end. 
and he wrote the last panel. He drew the last panel first, which I thought was really cool. And he lives. I don't in, have that kind of foresight. Right. He had this stuff all mapped out, but he lives. He still lives in Columbus. He's a big Buckeyes fan. And I didn't even know. I just found out he lived in Columbus. I never knew he was local. But uh, the books are available like through. They've been re uh, reprinted by Scholastic now. Um, oh, yeah. They're they, when he was publishing it, they were all black and white again to keep things inexpensive. Right. Uh, but they have full color editions. Uh, you can you know get them at school. You can get them on. You can get them digitally. You can get the black and white version if you want, which is you can get a one volume edition on Amazon. It's just called Bone, and the author is Jeff Smith. Obviously, if you just search for Bone, you're going to come up with all kinds of stuff. You might want to put Jeff Smith in the search parameters. Yeah. And uh, really good stuff. If you a put lot Jeff different. Smith in the search, you're going to come up with a lot of stuff. So you might need to search everything like together. <laughs> right. Like Jeff Bone, Smith, Jeff Bone. Smith. Or you can go to his website, which is boneville.com. Boneville. Boneville. And he sells uh, merchandise and stuff through there still. And uh, just it's a fun story that's like totally more fun than my history of columbine shooting and it's it's even different from the typical superhero type stuff i i tend to cover yeah but yeah check out jeff smith's you know what's funny is like i was gonna do that origin of smurfs like we talked about the other day oh yeah and then i was like no i'm gonna do this i wish you'd done smurfs (laughs) i was like who wants to hear about who wants to hear about payo (laughs) I, I did. I, I, I looked like, some of that stuff up, too. We watched some Smurfs the other day. Yeah. I was like, who wants to hear about Pale? I'm, I'm going to tell you instead about. I can tell you this. I know this is what I learned. Smurfs have been around since 1958. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I learned I learned that, too. I also read about it. But hey, we, we got to wrap it up because I got to go Smurf. Yeah. Sean's got a Smurf and the kids are going to be home to Smurf. So I got to go. So, Smurfing time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Smurf you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.